All right. Well, hey, guys. Welcome to Season 2 of Pursuing Jesus Podcast. My name is Shane Winnings, and I am pumped to get into this. We're going to be talking about a hot topic, I think. Um, Why does God allow things like this to happen? Why does God allow you to be destroyed? But we're not going to necessarily go the route of why, but we're going to dive into when. When does God allow you to be destroyed? And I'm talking about just in your body, in your flesh, in your life, like every area. When would God allow this? And so we're going to dive into this. I hope that it helps you. First, I want to thank you guys for listening. We might have some new listeners. I pray that we do, but I want to give you some quick stats. Last year, season one, I was traveling a ton, but when I wasn't, I was trying to crank out episodes we reached over 110,000 people last year. We were at the number 33 spot for 12 days in a row out of 92,000 podcasts. Um, we were ahead of people like Craig Rochelle, Tony Evans, um, uh, Stephen Furtick at one point. Um, we were in that top 50 for over a month, but we were at number 33, which is such an honor. And uh, we were reaching over 90 countries. I think that is so incredible. But here is my favorite stat. And this one is for you guys. This isn't for me. This is for y'all. My podcast, now this isn't in spirituality or religion or anything like that. This is out of every single podcast on Spotify. And there are tens of thousands, I'm sure. Well, yeah, there's 92,000 just in the spirituality uh, category. So there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts. We were in the top 1% of most shared podcasts, the top 1% out of all of Spotify. And that's because of you guys sharing the podcast. And so I want to thank you. And I want to encourage you, please, if you hear something and that impacts you, it would impact someone else. Send it to a loved one. I send my dad stuff. I send my mom stuff. I send my sister stuff. I send my wife stuff. I send my best friends things when they really move me. And so if something speaks to you, Share it. Share it with someone. That is why this podcast was reaching so many people is because we were not keeping things to ourselves. So thank you. And lastly, um, before we get into this, some of you might know, but I am going on tour with Sean Foyt and with Let Us Worship um, as a part of TPUSA Faith. And so, look, I am I'm going to be supporting um, over half of this tour on my own. And so I need your help. I'm looking for 100 partners who are willing to give $30 a month. That is, you know, I just did DoorDash the other day because we didn't have any groceries and it was about $30. So if you cut out one DoorDash a month, you could consider supporting me as I help reach. We're, we're going for a million people. We're going to all 50 state capitals and I think we're going to see at least 20,000 average at each event. That's a million people face to face. And uh, if you want to be a part of that, if you want to sew into that, what God is opening the doors for, I need to hire a videographer. And I also need to literally just pay to get to these places and for lodging and and things like that. And so I'm looking for 100 partners, $30 a month. You can sign up at shanewinnings.com. Just click the give button in the top right corner. Or there's some links in the description of this podcast you can give through Anchor um, and stuff like that. They just take out a little bit more of a percentage. I think I only get 80% through Anchor. If you give through my website, I will get like 94% of your gift. So 
Thank you, guys. Please prayerfully consider partnering with me. We're going to reach a million people face-to-face, which is insane. And uh, I want you to be a part of that team. And I'm going to start donor calls where everyone who is a monthly donor um, who has signed up for monthly giving, we're going to have a Zoom. We can do updates. We can do questions. Um, I think it's going to be really exciting. That's going to be rolling out this month. So get on the donor team. That would be so cool to meet you on Zoom. Here we go. I'm a military guy. Maybe you can see, you know, I've got, I had this lamp made when I was in the military, um, hand engraved. I think that's so cool. I was a jump master. That's what this star is for. But I've got my beret here. I've got, you know, some of the cool coins and badges that I earned while I was in the military. But all that stuff, it really doesn't mean anything. But I was writing the script for this and I thought, let's just put the bottom line up front. When I used to give uh, orders and give reports and stuff like that, we would put the bottom line up front. Like before you read all of this, here is the main point. So I want to give you the main point. And here's what I came up with. The destruction of our flesh is either a test from the devil or the mercy of God in order to bring us to a place of repentance that our soul might be saved. Again, the destruction of our flesh is either a test from the devil or the mercy of God in order to bring us to a place of repentance that our soul might be saved. Now we're going to break both of these down. First, we're looking at Romans 1. Now I covered this. If you don't follow me on Instagram or or on YouTube, um, you should because I'm posting Morning Wisdom. It's a 90-second clip every single morning pretty much unless I'm traveling and I can't get one uh, made. But I'm posting a 90-second clip as I read through the Bible and I share wisdom. But right now we're in Romans, and I just talked about this in Romans 1. Listen to what it says here. This is in, uh, we'll go from 18 to 24. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They don't ignore the truth. They don't, they're not unaware of the truth. They know the truth and they suppress the truth. This is key. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Listen to this. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. I want you to say this wherever you're at. Say, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. They're clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Why? Here it is. So that they are without excuse. What does that mean? Everyone knows that there is a God. You can't look at creation and all of life and not understand that someone is responsible for all of this. God's invisible attributes are clearly seen since creation. But here we go. Verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. They made God unto themselves. 
in birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. They created idols. They did all kinds of things. Here it is. This is the whole point. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their flesh. I'm sorry, in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then it says this, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. First reason that God will allow you to be destroyed is because you desire to sin and follow Satan and you don't want to glorify God. God will woo you. He will love on you. He will bring you to himself. He will draw you by his spirit over and over and over again. But there is a point where God will hand you over to your flesh, to the lusts of your heart. He is a gentleman. He's not a dictator. He's not a he's not some ruler with a with a staff and he he'll hit you if you don't follow. No, he is a gentleman. He wants lovers. This is why we were not created programmed like robots to worship God. We were given free will. He wants to know who really loves me. And if you deny him and you want to glorify yourself as God long enough, he will hand you over. Now we'll look at 1 Corinthians 5. Here's another reason. Similar, but a little bit different. 1 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read 1 through, t- 1 through 13. This is so important. And guys, this is regarding the church. This is regarding the body of Christ. Now listen, I just did a video talking about Andrew Tate, and uh, gaze against groomers and, and things like that. And I was just saying, hey, love these people because they were created by God, but I cannot stand with them. I cannot echo their voice because they do not walk in the ways of God. They don't walk in the teaching of the Bible. They don't honor God with their lives. And people were saying, oh, how could you judge them? You know, Christians sin too. One, we're going to talk about how to deal with Christians who sin, but this, I wasn't talking about Christians who sin. Everybody is going to sin at some point. Like, it, it, the, it's not a guarantee. The Bible doesn't say you're always going to sin, but the Bible says when you are tempted and if you sin. So it's a guarantee that everyone's going to be tempted to sin at some point. And guess what? Sometimes we fall short. But as Christians, we recognize that we've fallen short. We ask for forgiveness if we wronged someone or we know that we're forgiven by God if we've sinned against God and we repent. We have godly sorrow in our hearts that leads us to repent. But guess what? These people are not Christians who sin. They are walking in prideful, willful sin. You can't be a person behind gay pride and call yourself a Christian because you are proud in your sin. And the Bible says that God opposes the proud. This is the opposite of the Christian life. And so I wasn't talking about gays against groomers or Andrew Tate from a Christian standpoint. I'm saying I can't partner with these people, even though I I don't like groomers, and we should be calling out and arresting and eliminating groomers from uh, being able to affect the population. Put them in jail. Like, don't let them be out and out and about and abusing our kids and grooming our kids. But I will not lock arms 
with a worldly organization, especially one that is sinful in nature. It's gaze against groomers, a.k.a. prideful sin against groomers. Just because we have a common enemy doesn't mean that I want to link arms with them because I'm a Christian and I am not called to just defeat the evil on the world no matter what the circumstances. I am called to stand on the word of God and hold fast to this word and conduct myself worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what the Bible says. So I can't mix. And this is important because we need to catch what Paul was saying here. We often, we are so quick to be like, don't judge. We're not supposed to do this. We're not supposed to call out sin. We're not supposed to do that. Let me just read this to you. Okay. This isn't my words. This isn't Shane's script. This is 1 Corinthians 5. Some of you need to listen very closely. Paul is writing to a church. Verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. He's saying, guys, you guys are doing sins that I haven't even heard about outside of the church. Verse 2. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. You guys aren't even addressing it. You're not even sorry. You haven't cried about it, that this guy needs to be removed. Verse 3, For I indeed, as absent in the body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I was present him who has done this deed. Wow. Hold on. Paul, you're not supposed to be judging, man. Judging. Only God can judge. Don't judge me, bro. No. Paul says, I'm not even there physically, but in the spirit, I have already judged this person as if I was there. Because why? Because they're a Christian, they're submitting to a body of Christ, and they fall under the word of God. And that means we scripturally have to deal with them. How do we deal with them? I'm going to put this on pause because you guys don't like this version of Christianity. And listen, we're not called to be God's police, so don't catch that from me. But what I'm saying is, there are reasons that God will allow your flesh to be destroyed, and I think there are people that God is handing them over for their flesh to be destroyed, and there are Christians who are getting in the way and saying, no, we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be casting this person out. We shouldn't be excommunicating this person from your circle of influence or whatever. Like, we should restore them. No. When there is prideful, willful sin, you have to deal with it biblically and listen to Matthew 18, okay? I think God would disagree with many of you. Please hear my heart in this. This is very important for keeping the body of Christ pure. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> uh, Matthew 18, dealing with a sinning brother. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Here's the mistake we make. We don't address people publicly. Now, I will caveat this. There are people that we don't address people privately. However, there are people that cannot be addressed privately because we don't have access to them. And so I will do a whole nother video of why sometimes Christians will call out other Christians. I, I hate the toxic culture where, you know, on social media we see Christians tearing down other ministries. However, I will say I do think that there is a scriptural time when a ministry that was once or has currently given the appearance of godliness is in sin, is leading people into bondage, and it is up to 
Holy Spirit-filled Christians to make a correction and say, hey guys, do not be fooled by this teaching. Do not be fooled by this minister. This is leading to hell, or, or this appears to be this. I do think there are times for a public correction. Um, and we'll get into that in another episode. But Jesus is telling us how to deal with a person who is sinning in the church. Go to them alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. If the guy or the girl says, man, you're so right. I've been struggling with this. I'm so sorry, man. And, the, you know, the godly sorrow is hitting their heart and they're getting restored and they want help. Boom. Like that is amazing. You're helping restore that person. But listen what happens if pride sets in. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that, quote, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And that is straight from Deuteronomy. So person doesn't listen, you bring two or three more people and you say, hey, listen, here's the deal. And you confront with several. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. We hate that part. We go, no, you shouldn't air their dirty laundry out. No, listen, this is about keeping the body of Christ pure. Okay. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. Those are Jesus's words. Now, Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 5.3, I'm not there, but in the spirit, I've already judged this guy. Listen to verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, get this person out of the church. They are living in willful, prideful sin. They're puffed up. They're not crying over their sin. They're not struggling with sin. They are walking in sin, and they are unrepentant. And for that reason, deliver them over for the destruction of their flesh. Why? There's always a reason. Not because we're mad at them and we're offended, and how could you do this to us? That's selfish. Here's the reason, that his spirit may be saved. It is a greater love. Some of us have been missing that love, and we are enabling people who are in willful sin. It's like putting a homosexual person on the worship team. Can I just get real for a minute? That person is in sin. Now, I'm not talking about people who uh, have same-sex attraction struggles. There is nothing wrong with temptation. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted in every way, but without fault. Temptation is not sin. I'm talking about people who are willfully walking in sin, and they say, well, this is how God made me, and this is this, and I've already dealt with this with my pastor, with my spiritual father. I've already dealt with this with God. He's okay with it. He made me this way. He loves me. He knows my heart. These are the people that need to be cut out. It doesn't just have to be a gay person. You have someone who is a, a partier on the worship team. Dude, if everyone knew what I was doing when I was on the worship team, I should have been kicked off the worship team. Because, when, and many of you know my testimony, and if you don't, uh, you can find it on YouTube on my page. But I would 
play drums or guitar at a mega church, and then I would go out and sleep around and party and drink and do all kinds of horrible things. Out in the open. I wasn't hiding it. Now, I wouldn't post about it on social media, but it wasn't a secret. If you hung out with me, you knew. I should have been kicked off the worship team, and someone should have confronted me, and they should have said, Shane, you're living a way that's totally outside of the church, and if I didn't listen, they should have brought two more people and said, hey, man, we're really concerned about you, and if I didn't listen to them, they should have brought me before the church and said, listen, man, the way you're living is totally wrong. It's not biblical, and we have to hand you over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh. Why? There is a greater thing at work. And the only reason that it would get to that point is if I was prideful and I said, you guys are wrong. You guys don't understand. I have my own revelation. God's okay with it. God knows my heart. I can live this way. No. Because I'll tell you what happened. Because these people, Jesus and Paul and the, and the apostles, they are concerned about your salvation. And stick with me here because I'm tying it into the whole point of this podcast. But this is so important that we get this. If so, when, when God confronted me, he said, Shane, you have never lived for me a day in your life. And I was instantly convicted. Oh my gosh. I wasn't thinking about all the people I'd sinned against. I thought about the fact that I had sinned against God. I had lived pridefully, selfishly, sinfully out of my flesh my whole life. And godly sorrow hit my heart and I began to weep. There is repentance there. When you confront someone who's in sin and you say, hey, listen, man, girl, I'm worried about you. I see you doing this or, or I've heard about you doing this. Let's talk. And it comes out that they're really doing it. And you say, listen, we can't live this way. We're Christians. And they begin to weep and say, I know. I'm so sorry. I've been caught in this. I shouldn't have never done that. Oh, my gosh. Help me. That is a great thing. That person is ready to be restored. But if they say, whatever, man, I'm not listening to this. I don't have to take the, that is pride and that needs to be dealt with biblically and we are told how to do it. And here is why. Because in verse two, he says, you're puffed up and you haven't mourned. Verse six, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, Yet I certainly did not mean sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. What is he saying? Guys, I wasn't telling you that you're not supposed to be around sinful people in the world. You're supposed to be in the world. You're supposed to be not of the world. If I told you not to associate ever with anyone like that, you would never get a chance to minister. It would become a Christian social club. Verse 11, here's the final heart of it. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. He's talking about in the faith, someone who proclaims to be a Christian and falls under the word of God. 
who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Last verse. For what have I to do with judging these also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Now that was a lot, but this is so important that we catch why flesh might be destroyed. Number one, you desire to sin and you don't want to glorify God and he hands you over. Second reason, 1 Corinthians 5. You are pridefully in your sin, but you're a Christian. And God is allowing you to be handed over to Satan for your flesh to be destroyed so that just maybe you would be so broken, so humbled, so brought low that you would have godly sorrow hit your heart. All of that pride would be worked out of you and you would come back to Jesus and that in the end, your soul would be saved. Can I tell you that it is the mercy of God for some people, and maybe you're listening right now, and you have experienced this. God has allowed you to destroy your flesh, but it it resulted in your salvation. It resulted in your repentance. It resulted in you being renewed to the gospel. God has a greater thing at work than we realize. Now, There's one other story that comes to mind when we talk about God allowing things to be destroyed, and it's Job. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this story, and I'll do a whole other podcast episode on Job because it's worth that. There are so many misunderstandings, misconceptions. We blame God for allowing instead of the devil for what's his job description. Let me ask you this. Whose job description is it to steal, kill, and destroy? That's the enemy. If you read Job from a perspective of needing God to protect you to be okay, you will never endure to the end. You will always fault find. You will always have a problem with God. There will always be a place where he didn't meet your expectations. I'm saying that in finger quotes. Listen to this. If you read Job from a perspective of this, wow, here's an opportunity for me to shine and never give in to the lie and accusation of the enemy that no one loves God. If that's your perspective as you read Job, you will endure for a lifetime. Think about it. The enemy came to, jo- came to, to God and said, nobody loves you. They love what you do for them. Job, he only loves you because you've protected him. Watch what happens when he loses everything. And then Satan takes everything from Job. And even worse, he makes Job think that it was God. He calls down fire to come down and appear like it's coming from heaven. And the book of Revelation says that the enemy will do the same exact thing in the end times to deceive many with signs and wonders, even calling fire to come down from heaven. Now, was fire actually coming from heaven? No, it wasn't. Did it look like it was coming from heaven? Yes, it did. That was the entire point. The devil wanted to pin God for what he was doing. And it even worked. Job said, though you slay me, I still worship you. You know that people still say that quote today? Though he slays me, I'm still worshiping him. 
they are just as misguided and ignorant as Job was because God didn't slay anyone in the book of Job. The devil did. And it's proven because God said, though you gave him a reason to have a cause against me, you incited Job against me, he still worshiped me. He still stood fast. Why don't we ever say things like this? We, we talk about God allowed, God allowed. Yeah? Why would God allow his only son, the most perfect man who was ever born, the son of the living God, to die for a twisted, perverted, and fallen world? Why would God allow something like that? When we say, well, God allowed it, well, God allow- why is God allowing this to happen to me? It's selfish, self-centered, self-seeking. It's feeling sorry for ourselves, and it will never produce fruit. Guys, there's a bigger picture at work here than just our lives. Listen, two kingdoms are colliding before our very eyes, but one of them has already won the battle. But the Bible says all things have been placed beneath our feet, but we have not yet seen all things under our feet. And so we have been given the great privilege to stand in victory until we see all things beneath our feet. What we don't do is get upset and throw the Bible back at God when he, quote, doesn't deliver on his promises, end quote, as if he's the unfaithful one. How many times have we done that or heard that? Well, I thought you were supposed to protect me. Why'd you allow this? Well, I've been serving faithfully, and you think you could watch my back, and you think you could protect me from this, and we prayed for 30 years, and you never saw healing, and I thought you said you would heal, and I thought you were Jehovah Rapha, and and all of a sudden, we're right, and we're judging God. Instead of looking at one of these two reasons, I'm either being tested by the devil or I'm being handed over to Satan for the destruction of my flesh that my soul might be saved. Okay, well, I really don't think it's the second one because I love God and I'm living for God the best I know how. I'm not living in prideful sin. I'm not living in secret sin. I just don't think that God is handing me over to my sin because I don't have a sin that I am wanting to be handed over to. Okay, so it must be the first one. I'm being tested by the devil. That is the reason my flesh is being destroyed. That's the reason my life is hard. Philippians 1, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Let me ask you a question. When you sign up and enlist in the army of God, do you think that there's an enemy out there who wants to test and see if you are battle ready? Do you think there's an enemy out there who wants to see, is this person for real? Absolutely. He did it with Job. He doesn't love you, God. He loves what you do for him. Guys, it's easy to be a Christian when all your bills are getting paid and you got money in the bank and everyone's healthy and the kids are well-behaved and everything's just going awesome and you're liked all over. That is the easiest life in the whole world. And not many people live that life. Try being a Christian when everything is going south. Money is tight. Health isn't good. You feel like your prayers aren't getting answered. I mean, people are hating you. Division in the family. Try being a Christian then. You'll see what you really believe. You'll find out, am I in this thing for me or am I in this thing for God? Because if I'm in it for God, then nothing is going to stop me from following him. When you become a Christian, 
And don't take this like some scary way, like, oh, no, I got a target on my back. The devil's mad at me. No, the devil's mad at everyone because he's lost and he's going to spend eternity in a lake of fire. He's just mad. He got defeated on the cross. And when you become a Christian, yeah, you, you get a target. And guess what you also get? Spiritual armor. God doesn't put you into a battle with a target on your back and no armor. Actually, you have the perfect armor to help you overcome all fiery darts of the enemy. You have armor that will help you endure every single spiritual attack. You can win every single spiritual battle for the rest of your life. You never have to be defeated. But it's all about your perspective. And when you're getting destroyed in your life and you paint it on God, you will destroy yourself because you will remove your spiritual armor. You'll no longer be standing in faith and you will be easy pickings for the enemy. So what's the point of this whole episode? If you have the wrong perspective, you'll die. You'll die on the inside. Your faith will die. Many will ultimately die a spiritual death to which there is no returning. Let us take heed from Jesus, from Paul, and Romans, Corinthians, and Timothy. The destruction of our flesh is either a test from the devil, or it is the mercy of God in order to bring us to a place of repentance that our soul might be saved. Can I tell you today, as we wrap this episode up, to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Christianity and this life is not about what you can get. It's about how you can become more like him. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through fires. But this, 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 this life that we live as Christians, we have been promised that God is with us. He is Emmanuel. We have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we have been equipped with the best armor that can defend the best ammunition that the enemy has. Don't let selfishness and pride and looking inward at yourself cause you to lay down your spiritual armor. The enemy can't get through your armor, but he can get you to believe a lie, to look inward, and to take your armor off. Listen, my friend, you are in a spiritual battle. You cannot take your armor off. Keep it on. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Understand that Jesus was killed for being perfect and his faith never wavered. May we follow in his footsteps. Amen? Hey, listen, if this encouraged you today, if it, if it brought some life, if it brought some understanding, if it brought meaning to your testing, maybe you're being tried right now, maybe you're being tested, maybe you are going through a spiritual war and you're like, why is this happening to me? I pray that this gives language to it. Maybe you're listening and you are living in sin and you feel like your life is going to hell. Maybe you've been handed over by God for your destruction because he wants to save your soul. And it's only at the lowest of lows that you can, you can be like the prodigal son who literally wished that he could just go back and be a servant in his father's house. He wanted to eat the pig slop. He had nothing left. He was completely broken. He once was on top. Now he's as low as it can get. He had been destroyed. And it says he came to himself and he says, Oh my gosh, I've sinned against my father and heaven. And he goes back home. Maybe you're being destroyed because you've sinned against heaven. And God is calling you back home. 
and I want you to come back home. Come back home today. Amen? Well, listen, thank you so much for watching. Share this if it encouraged you. And I will see you tomorrow for episode two.